it's a coping mechanism. Really? It's a coping mechanism for, uh, you know, sheltering myself from the world, um, disguising my emotions, and, uh, nah, not really. I just, <laughs> I just fucking, I just, I don't know, I just, yeah. I just never take anything too seriously, and also I just, I really like taking the piss out of things, because there's so much shit to take the piss out of. You know, so much stuff. So that's kind of, yeah, I guess that's why I, I kind of got into it. Welcome back to The Drop. This is Michael Saramella here to talk about everything that happened this week in surfing. Shortly, I will be joined, not by Buck, but by a person who I actually feel like I know quite well, just due to all the time he spent on the WSL broadcast and writing for our site and even on this podcast a little bit, but I've never actually met him, so we'll introduce that person soon. And we're going to talk about a lot of things this week. There are a lot of things that are going on. We wrote a story that was a bit incendiary called the WSL's time management problem. We're going to get into what that problem is and why the WSL didn't like our take. We're also going to talk about Sierra Kerr versus the box and whether or not it's time for the women to have a go at the box. After that, we're going to talk about a story, an interview that we did with Luke Cederman that literally made me laugh out loud multiple times while reading it. We might even get a little voice note from Luke if we're lucky. And last but not least, we are going to cover the seven ages of surfboard. This story was actually written by our mystery guest, and he's going to break it down. Basically, the seven surfboards that you go through before your surfing career is over, or surfing lifestyle is over, I suppose we should say. We also have a surf sin that was posted on our Instagram this week, which I'm hoping you saw, and we're going to give our penances along with picking our favorite IG commenter penances. So let's drop in. Paul Evans, it's been a long time. I've heard your voice a lot. I've seen your face a lot. I've read a lot of your words. This is the first time that we've ever actually chatted, to my knowledge. Yeah, we flirted a bit, haven't we, over the internet, but never really, never really got it on. And um, I don't know. Sometimes I've done this pod a couple of times with Buck, and I felt like maybe he's cheating on you with me. But mm. now we're like, it's a weird love mistress. Triangle, yeah. We, yeah, I don't really know who's who's who, but hey, I'm up for it. Well, it's very nice to finally meet you. I hope one day we can actually meet face to face, maybe share a beer as well. But this is a good first step. Obviously, right now we've got the the contest going on in WA. You are not there to the probably chagrin of many viewers. But yeah, what is it? How's that process work for you? Like what events do you get called into? Obviously, the European ones. But what else? Um, Yeah, pretty much just I guess just the Portugal one because It's cheap for me to get there. I just get, I get a ride in the car with the with the World Surf League Europe guys that drive down, so they don't even have to pay gas money. So um, yeah, I do that one. I did J Bay last year, but I think I think a few of the crew might already have signed up for that one this year. I tr- I tried to get back there, but I'm not not sure it's going to happen. So yeah, I just probably just really just Portugal. But um, yeah, I think one maybe if anyone does say anything, you know, slightly even not that. Sort of scathing about me it's probably just because i don't do many events i'm sure if i did more i'd be just as annoying as as everyone else so, okay yeah. so to that point a lot of times we talk about surfers favorite surfers but i yeah. want to know who is a commentator's favorite commentator mm, um i'd i'll say this this year joe wasn't there in portugal and i thought it was sort of noticeable in the team dynamic he's like he's our he's our rock He's our still point in an ever-turning world. And like everyone else's little vibe is like 
a deviation from Joe, the, the core of everything. The centre of the surfing universe. Yeah, the commentary universe. But this time he wasn't there and it was all a bit just, yeah, just a bit different. So, yeah, I, I think I think every event really needs to pal, I would say. Okay, fair enough. Well, obviously a lot's going on over in WA. People are getting cut. People are making the cut. Some people are surfing really well. Slater ripped last night, but... We've got a lot of other news to cover this week, so let's get into it. The WSL's time management problem. I made it seem like we were going to get away from the WSL, but turns out we're going straight back into it. This is a story that has actually gotten us into a bit of hot water with the Wazzle. Apparently the, uh, the top dogs read it and were not especially pleased. It was written by our second favorite British surf journalist, Billy Wilson. Second, of course, to Ben Mondi. And I think that the thesis here is basically summed up in the first sentence. Billy writes, The world tour status of some 20 surfers, Elo's tenure as Wazel overlord, Dirk Ziff's patience as chief Wazel benefactor, the bold strategy of trying to make surf contests a compelling spectacle to legions of the unjazzed. These are just a few of the things on which the clock is ticking. Paul, you've obviously been around the WSL a lot. What was your take on this story? Yeah, well, I'll, I'll tread carefully here. I suppose he's, Billy's factually correct in that I guess the clock is sort of ticking on, on everything, even the sort of the half-life of the sun, um, how long we're going to have topsoil on Earth and a breathable atmosphere. So, you know, none of those are, are incorrect. What were, they, what, what were they upset about in particular? Which bit can, can we divulge? I didn't get the the full breakdown here, but I heard that um, it was definitely read by the top dogs. Let's just say they hated it all. Well, I, what I heard is that actually they were part of it is that they were upset because a lot of it read true to them. You know, sometimes we write stuff that they are like that's completely not factual. You know, whether it's mm. about their business or, or whatever. But this was written yeah. by a total outsider relative to the WSL. He has nothing to do with their business. I don't know what Billy Wilson does for a job. He's an incredible surf writer when he chooses to do so, which is typically just for the Portugal event. But this is the first time he's, I think, offered a piece outside of that that's focused on the WSL, but he's not really like in that world, as far as I know. Yeah, at least. I don't think he has a job anymore. Um, he, just got, he just got fired <laughs> from writing. Um, when you go on uh, Surf Dome, I think it's Surf Dome, and you read the little blurb about the new FCS leash, that's Wilson, or used to write them. <laughs> but I think they just got rid of him. Or oh, shut the thing down, and now he's just sort of yeah, he's um he's freelancing. Uh, yeah, I I enjoyed the article. It was quite long. I enjoyed the comments. A lot of them were complaining that um it, the article was quite long. I did one comment. Um, and just wrote that because I know Billy. He's um he's a notorious time thief. He's he's never ever ready ever. He's always like oh oh sorry mate, I just got to... uh so. Yeah, there was, there was, there was quite a few sort of, yeah, ironies working on different levels there. But I thought, he made, I thought he made some really good points. I'll disagree with him on one part. He, he, can, he didn't like the fact that um, he reckons a lot of the waves happen when the broadcast is on break. And you come back from break and they say, let's get caught up. I mean, I might just be saying this from a commentator's point of view, but I love that. I think that's great because sometimes it's quite hard to... You normally get a break when nothing's happening. Um, they, sort of try and, they try and fit them in, obviously, towards the middle of the heat or however they're doing it, but when there isn't much going on. And if you then come back and there's also not much going on, there's a bit more sort of lifting to do from the, from the host point of view. So That's I quite true. like it when you come straight back and Medina's just got a nine. Well, 
it is pretty funny though the way he phrased it is we're familiar by now with the hall of mirrors irony that is the wazzle's practice of cutting to ads midway through a heat ads that turn out to be advertising the very event currently being disrupted by ads so <laughs> like him picking it apart so cleverly like that like you just can't help but laugh because we've all had that experience i mean you're a commentator but you're also a viewer i would imagine um when you're not there so it i don't know it, it is funny and the whole story basically goes on to explain certain i guess you'd call them inefficiencies in the w cell's whole program and like i said it's told from a viewer's perspective he doesn't have an inside line here, so I'm sure there are a lot of things that WSL would say, well, you know, we do this for that reason and blah, blah, blah. Yeah, but it's it's a really interesting read. Like you said, it's a very long read, but there's just so many clever little bits in there that make you giggle that make it a worthwhile read in my mind. Yeah, very enjoyable. It was long. Uh, not as long as um, Benzie's preview of the WA event, though. <laughs> we got in trouble I... for that one, too, actually. Did wow? Okay, good. Well, just as an aside, because I, I I thought it was the forecast. I it said something about the bulletproof forecast. I was like, oh, okay, it's forecast. Cool, doing my fancy team. I read it. It's forecast Monday, Tuesday. Yeah, looks good. And then they did an interview with Jesse. Then well, no, we Claire didn't do Bell. an interview with Jesse. That, that was the, that was what and got us made, in trouble. He made up the interview. <laughs> yeah. Then he just interviewed everyone in the world, and then we found out what Glenn Hall <laughs> thinks of Maxime Rusinos' dad. And I was like, wow, reading time, one hundred and twenty-five minutes. It just wouldn't end, um, which I, it's, I guess it's value if you're paying your you're paying your premium stuff. But um, yeah, but nevertheless, an enjoyable piece by Binzi. What? To, okay, so what? What? What was? What was the problem here? Was it a fraudulent Jesse interview? Well, no, it wasn't happened? fraudulent. It was that Binzi framed the whole article as he was trying for days and days and days to get a short interview with Jesse to answer a few basic questions about this comp, and he just kept getting brushed, kept getting brushed, kept getting brushed. So at the end, he was like, fuck it. I'm just going to ask other people the same questions that I had for Jesse and let them answer it from their standpoint. So it was the, the portrayal of Jesse as, I guess, dodging him, which is funny because now he has to sit in a cubicle about, you know, 10 to 20 feet away from her for the entirety of the event. So, yeah, we've, uh, we've ruffled a few feathers this week. Right on. Um, yeah, do you know what? I, I, must have skim, I must have been skim reading by then because I thought they were actually her words. But sorry, I'll go back and read that again. I didn't, yeah, I should do, so, I should do better for Binzi. Sierra Kerr versus The Box. You have to get the first one. This is a timely news story that we covered this week when we basically got DM'd a crazy photo of Sierra Kerr knifing into a wave at The Box. This was prior to the event starting and it was when sort of the biggest best swell of the year was hitting margaret river and it was really big if you saw videos of like main break was huge and the box was sort of like borderline too big but sierra kerr and her dad and a couple of friends were the first ones to paddle out it was sierra's first time surfing the box and this comes after a history of just a few women really that we've seen surfing the box malia manuel did it a few years ago Betty Lou did it last year after she missed the cut, and now Sierra is kind of leading that next charge along with Katie and Molly, who paddled out a little bit later. But Sierra said it's time for the women to get a run at the box. What says you, Paul? Yeah, definitely. That photo is mental as well because there's like surfing the box, and then there's she just fell into that thing. It's mm-hmm. that's like full commitment. Like she's she's charging it rather than just kind of like surviving. Um, that was sick. Yeah, it definitely like that. I mean, you can make this point about that style of surfing and the progressive surfing. So that next generation, there is 
we're sort of almost a bit between them, aren't they? We've still got the ones sort of dominating that's still probably always going to get better results over a season. And then you've got that next generation. And, it, I, you know, I think a lot of fans are quite like the next generation to sort of hurry up and, and get there. Yeah, I'd, I would love, I'd love to see them. I would love to see the women out there and see, see how they go for sure. Um, well, there's a good chance it might happen, no? According to Binzi and Snake and... And Stace, they were quite excited about some box happening for this event. Let's see. Yeah, forecast looks pretty good. There's like another little pulse and swell, and I think some good winds coming. So there's a really good chance we could see it. If you're the WSL, it's almost like a, a statement thing at this point. Like so many people have kind of pushed for it and called it out that they their hand is almost forced, right? Like they, they kind of have to try it. Yeah, I, I, I would say that they seem to be pretty good at not being overly... Um, Overly sort of swayed by the, the court of public opinion, though. I, I just think like they'll make dec- they'll make decisions based on like the welfare of the, the surfers. Without meaning to be the sort of straight guy, like they're gonna they're gonna just yeah they're gonna they're not gonna do anything dangerous or kind of reckless just because of comments or you know. So I I think they'll make a kind of clear headed decision based on the information in front of them that day, kind of thing, rather than oh we have to do this. Like that's that's probably not not the way to approach it. But I mean. Obviously, I know nothing about how those calls are actually made, but I would, yeah, I think everyone would love to see it. And then for every person calling for the women to get a run at the box, there will be probably 10 people who are like, why are the women out at the box when the men could be out at the box? So they're not going to win either way, I suppose. Yeah, well, there's, but there was a bit of that, in, going back to Billy's story as well, actually, wasn't it, about the, the sort of conditions and you know, some of the sort of the smaller onshore days when, when uh, he, he, he did talk a little bit about, I mean, maybe that's one of the things that, got in trouble for I probably shouldn't bring up but um I would say there's probably a bit more to that than just uh oh it's not as good send the women out that would be my they've gotten a lot better at that for sure like that's been noticeable how hard they've tried to sort of remove themselves from that past well there's no way Jesse my guy's going okay it looks crap send the women out is she that's just that's so that's just that's one thing we do know is not happening so there's obviously more to those kind of decisions how it all works out but actually this year the women have gone out like sunset they had that really good that one round that's really really good that's they, they, yeah i guess it's some. Um, i wouldn't want to be making those calls myself anyway i no. struggled to decide when to get surfing myself when there's a few different like sandbars to choose from to like decide and pull the trigger on a whole day of surfing and all that is some. Um, yeah it's that sounds like that sounds like a lot of work it does. So we talked to Sierra about this. We, we basically got her on the phone after we saw this wave. And the talk sort of turned into this like crazy lesson on how to surf heavier waves from her and her dad. And two of the favorite things that I heard on this trip, the first one was Sierra. And I basically asked her, what's your approach to surfing scary waves? And she said, you just have to get the first wave. If you make it, you know you can do it. If you get smashed, you're like, okay, I got smashed and I'm fine. And then you have the confidence to try it again. So simple, but so true. Like I can just imagine so many times I've paddled out and just sort of freaked myself out and you end up sitting there for two hours. (laughs) And you're like, what am I doing out here? In the interest of clarity and, and kind of public safety, she, put, she means you've got to get your first wave, though, rather than the first wave of the set. That's probably worth mentioning. Like, if you're at, like, Nazare, and you're paddling, it's probably don't go with the first wave of the set, like, as, as a rule. So, yeah, I, I get what she means. Absolutely. I, I'm sure um, that's always been a, a thing that the kind of good surfers, the elites have always sort of said as their, like, tip, just get one, get a bit smashed. If you don't die, carry on, you know? It just seems like pretty good advice. But, yeah, it's easy to... Um, 
to say when you've got her sort of skills. Um, but yeah, for, for mere mortals like the rest of us, intimidating. But yeah, I, um, I reckon it's, it's, uh, it's like that we mentioned that as a, there's a generation of those surfers, those, those young ones. It, it really feels like we're quite close to that tipping point where mm. there'll be, that'll be like the norm right now. It's kind of newsworthy because she's young and she's a girl, but it doesn't really doesn't feel like that far away, but that'll just be um, a shot of a sick, a sick slab and someone charging. She just happens to be female and that won't be like news or a headline, but yeah, she's, she's amazing. The other lesson that I really love from this is Josh Kerr was sort of in the background there driving to go surf another wave in WA when I called Sierra. So I had a question for Josh as well. Basically, the first question I asked him was like, how is it for you as a dad watching your daughter take off? Like he's out there with her, which is maybe even worse because you're just watching your daughter take off on this backless crazy slab. And then you're just like crossing your fingers, hoping for the best that she pops out in the channel. And one of the things he said is that he trusts her because she's really good at wiping out. She knows how to do that well. So I asked Josh, what is the secret to wiping out well? And he said, I always just tell Sierra to hold on until the end and not jump forward in the tube because I feel like if you jump forward, you're just going to go where the barrel is still barreling, if that makes sense, instead of just falling back or falling straight down. If you jump forward, you're more than likely going to get sucked over. So that's something that I am super guilty of. I don't know why it just feels natural if you know you're not going to make a tube to just like dive forward, but I guess I've been doing it wrong the whole time. Yeah, I think, I think everyone in the world does that. I'm just, I remember reading something like that ages ago in a magazine, fall backwards. It's like, who does that? Like surely you kind of like, you're trying to get out, like who then kind of goes, oh no, and does a little kind of, yeah, I think, I think we all do that. Guilty, guilty is charged. Yeah, well, now we at least know better not to, but we'll probably keep doing it anyway. So, Bali Local Speaks. You smile, you welcome them, then they open your fridge. This is a story that we did, an interview with T.P. Jabrick, and I'd actually never heard of this guy, but he sounds like an absolute legend. He's a former QS surfer. He's the Secretary General to Surfing Indonesia. That's a very high title. And he's a founding member of the Asian Surf Cooperative of the ASC who puts on like tons of events every year. Basically, he's like one of the main, if not the main guys, uplifting surfing in Indonesia. So Ethan Davis called TP to actually talk about the JP Azevedo event, kind of trying to find out where JP is currently because nobody's really heard and to just get a local perspective on this situation. And TP didn't want to offer too much opinion on JP because he basically, being you know Hindu, he said that karma will sort that out. But he did provide some really good perspective about how much influence visiting surfers have had on Balinese and Indonesian culture over the years. Paul, I take it you've been to Bali before? I've been to Bali a couple of times. I haven't been lately. I've heard it's quite crowded these days. Um, I clicked on this story purely because I wanted to see what Tippy said about JP Asvedo, as I'm sure most people did. And I'm, I'm, I must admit, I was slightly disappointed when I read, well, I can't really comment on that. <laughs> I was like, I mean, not that I'm not interested in the sort of the administrative side of kind of putting on like QS events in Indonesia. That's, that's, not, that's not interesting. But what I really want was a bit of juice on. But yeah, yeah. fair enough. He's got his principles. He's sticking to them. Um... I love the idea that for, for the first time in a, a long time, but with Rio kind of spearheading it, that actually people are starting to look at Indonesia as a, as a source of, of talent to 
go on the international stage on the very biggest stage rather than just somewhere where we all go and kind of use it low and barley don't we and kind of plunder it one way or another mm. um so it's totally cool to get that perspective so well done to ethan for for doing that story but i would have loved a little bit more juice like next time he shows up at or something like that but i guess <laughs> you know that's just that's that reflects more on me than obviously on tippy and he's, he's got his values and he's sticking to him yeah i think a lot of people feel that way one of the things tippy said was you know it's it's a very classic refrain but there's three sides to every story your side their side and the truth and so you know uh, we've heard that there are different sides to to the story with jp and that maybe it wasn't just what the video showed but it's really hard to know we haven't been able to get in contact with him obviously nobody has so there's no follow-up on that just yet maybe down the line but yeah one of the things you pointed out there is sort of the the duality of the surfing sort of influence in indonesia and it's basically like in order to get someone like rio to the level that he's at it requires Indonesia putting a lot of money into surfing and for Indonesia to put a lot of money into surfing it requires them to receive a lot of money from surfing which basically what that means is in order for them to like really uplift this sport in their nation they need to also be getting more people coming there to surf which then makes the surfing experience in Indonesia more chaotic and leading to more events like this JP thing. So it's, I don't know, it's like this really weird balance where it's like, how hard do you push it? Because the more you push it, the more that your culture and society is going to be kind of fucked around with by all these visiting people who just don't give a shit and don't understand and don't get it. Um, but TP is still, he's like, he's, he's really pushed hard to like make the government see how valuable surfing is to Indonesia. Like one of the things that he said was, we had a monetary crisis in 1997. Surfers still came and they helped, helped prop up the economy. In 2002, we had the Bali bombings. Surfers stayed and promoted the Bali safe. Mount Agung erupts. Again, surfers stay. Corona happens for two years. The first people that want to come to Bali are surfers. So surfers have a lot of impact on Indonesia. So yeah, it's this really, really delicate ecosystem where you know he wants to be able to promote the next generation of indonesians but he knows that that means basically overcrowding their local lineups at the same time so it's yeah it's really tricky is rio is he still cool with stab is he still yeah. right with stab rio yeah. even we did an interview with him he, like a week or two ago even in spite of um buckley buckley's snub which one was that rio he agreed to take rio to super two boss no worries <laughs> i'll give you a ride i i think you're the you're the only one who's still hung up on this Buckley went to the DB luggage and hard kombucha night at a, a fashionable <laughs> surf shop instead of taking Indonesia. It's just greatest prospect. That's that's cool. He's moved on. I haven't. Rio's moved on. Never forget. Luke Cederman might have the biggest forehand hack in surfing, and that's not even why we love him. Luke Cederman, perhaps better known as Raglan Surf Report, is a highly talented former pro surfer who now makes a living mocking our culture for a dried meats brand. So yeah, Luke gets paid by Jack Links uh, to basically make some of the funniest surf content out there, I would say, like consistently funny and not cringy, which is pretty hard in surfing. Like very few people have been able to sort of hit that mark. Uh, Paul, you've been chasing that surf comedy unicorn for many years now. What's your take on Luke? No, this I, I I'm not actually trying to be funny. This is just <laughs> this is just actual me. Yeah, I think he's hilarious. Everyone likes him. I don't think I've ever ever heard anyone go. Don't really, don't really like him that much. I, as a general rule, like all bald men with beards. 
Like anyone that's got a bald head and a big beard, I I just sort of warm to. Mm. I always sort of think they've only got one personality, which is dumb. I always just think they're all they must be the same, which I know is really stupid, but I just can't help it. And he's really funny. I think all the Kiwis are quite funny. Like the way they talk is really funny, and like some of them know it, and 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 it, and it just works really well. But um, his stuff's great. I love the one, uh, the video that's embedded in the story where he goes surfing with his buddy and he kind of turns into like a, a demon when he's in when he's in the lineup. But yeah, he's he's really funny and and he rips and uh, it is quite hard to do that. Like I mean, everyone gets their moment where they, they might be funny for a bit, but just to sort of regularly be funny for a seven minute video twice a week, sort of four years in to still doing it. And like that, that's actually kind of like pretty hard to do. Um, and yeah, I guess a lot of it's in the like the writing that means be really boring about it. So he's, he's obviously like really, really smart guy. Be able to come up with, come up with this stuff. Um, yeah, he's awesome. It's one of my favorite bald bearded Kiwis. It is funny because he has, he, he says it himself. Basically he likes taking the piss out of people, out of surfing as a whole. That is my favorite part. When you fuck someone off, that's when, as long as you fuck someone off in a, in a good way, you know, like if, if you're just being offensive and just being a fuckwit, like that's not good. But if you're offending someone and they don't get it, then that is by far the best. Like that, that's awesome. And that's gotten him, you know, some mixed reviews, obviously, from the people, especially that he's sort of picking on. I did one last year with um, uh, Anastasia Ashley out of Ulu's, and it, what was it? It was like um, it was something about like gender role reversal, I guess. Like, what would it be like if a woman treated a dude like a woman out in the surf? It was you know like kind of wolf whistling and oh yeah, come on, dude, like mansplaining sort of shit. And fucking so many dudes were just like, this is something that's never happened in the history of the world. It's just like, I've never done that. You know, this doesn't happen. I said, like, oh, bullshit. You fucking, you woke son of a bitch. And all this sort of shit. And <laughs> clearly, those are the fucking dudes who do that. <laughs> so it's just like, if it, if it struck a nerve with them, it's just like, yes. Yes, because, because that's you. Because that's you. And then, like, every single chick who watched it was just like, oh, my God, this is just so bang on. This happens all the time. The guy's like, this never happens. This is fake news. Like, it's like... <laughs> so you're fucking... Yeah, you're fucking outing yourself. Like, just idiots. And, but that's what I love about the internet is that there are these people on there with these, these opinions and shit, and they don't realize that they're fucking idiots. One of them happens to be Jamie O'Brien, who he actually did an incredible green screen a couple of weeks ago. It fooled me. I, first time I watched it, I was like, wow, he actually got on a podcast with J-O-B. That's really impressive. But he didn't. He just CGI'd it a bit. So Stab used to do that a lot. We used to like sort of pick on people. And it's really funny, I think. Like To me, that, that's really funny. And I, I enjoy reading that as a, as a reader. And I enjoy watching it as a viewer. But we sort of made the call that it's not worth it because we're going this different direction where we really need to work with the best surfers in the world. And in order to do that, you can't be mocking them at every turn. But Luke's in an interesting position where he's just an individual. He is the content himself. So he doesn't really have to kowtow to these people. Yeah, no, he's, he's, he's great. I, I just sort of think on one level, it's like all, all surfing content is sort of funny. Like there's something sort of quite inherently funny about 
we're getting with your little board and I'm going to go for a surf now. I and mean, that's sort of never not a bit funny. So to just kind of fully embrace it, yeah, is, is, is awesome. But you're right, actually. Do you know a lot of people still think Stab is like this real controversial kind of, we're going to secretly take this conversation at dinner and then like write and expose it. Like, a lot of people still think that. I, I sometimes find myself going, hey, no, guys, guys, not really like that anymore. It's like a premium subscription model now. They're trying to work with the best surfers. But yeah, that, that seems like it's still taking a while to sort of shake that rep off. I'm like, guys, no, no, it's really boring now. It's not funny anymore. No, that's not stab. Yeah, but a lot, a lot of people still have that perception, but it works out better. If you're a one-man band, you've got your own little blog and you're not trying to, you know, have a foot in both worlds, it seems to work the best. Raglan Surf Report. And then on the flip side, he also is like a really, really good surfer. I mean, it says it in the in the headline, but his forehand hack, I would put it up there in the same category as like a Sunny or a Poncho or modern day, like a JJF in terms of water displacement just for that single big turn. Yeah, I mean, the, the I mean, lucky he is a good sport, but like water displacement is a bit of a kind of a backhanded compliment saying you've got, you got a bit of a bit of a fat belly isn't it that's that's what it means kind of but, but he's he, no, super he, athletic he too it's not like he's just yeah he gets into all sorts of all the right positions and stuff kind of give some context luke is 6'3 the same height as jordy but he's got an extra 20 kilos on him so he actually made the argument that jordy should just basically fatten up and that that would be his key to success <laughs> yeah he said that's why he hasn't he's never really kind of <laughs> unlocked his potential which i really like joe i found that inspirational to to the to the heavier surfer the bit about his boards and he rides yeah pretty right quite a bit of volume and any any rips and that's great i'm all about that so we're going to talk about surfboards very shortly but just another little overview so the the interview with lucas hilarious i genuinely laughed multiple times while reading it uh this is done by holden turnka who is actually down in New Zealand. He's been there for about a month or so. So we met up with Luke one-on-one and yeah, they had a really good chat. It's a coping mechanism. Really? It's a coping mechanism for, uh, you know, sheltering myself from the world, um, disguising my emotions. And uh, nah, not really. I just, <laughs> I fucking, I just, I don't know. I just, yeah. I just never take anything too seriously and also I just I really like taking the piss out of things cuz there's so much shit to take the piss out of. You know, so much stuff. So that's kind of yeah. I guess that's why I kind of got into it. And I want to give one little piece of news here on the drop. Nobody else has heard this yet, but we have confirmed that Luke Cederman is officially on for Stab Highway Europe. He's the oldest and the largest human to ever participate in this show, which I don't know how well that will bode for him driving around Europe in a van with six kids. He doesn't know, but I would say entertainment is imminent. Yeah, what could possibly go wrong? Him and um, a month's worth of New Zealand beef jerky. The seven stages of surfboard. Paul, this is your piece. Would you like to break it mm. down for us? Uh, yeah, um... Well, the, the the theme of the surfboard in general seems, seems very reasonably popular on Stab Premium. Um, Buckley seems to think it's always kind of a kind of a good a good ish theme. I thought a lot of people there's a lot about everyone's first board. I think it gets quite misty eye about their first board and kind of feels that it's a it's a little bit like when someone tells you about a dream they had last night. It's like 
yeah, there's, not, there's sort of very little that's kind of more boring than, than someone telling you about their dream. And also people's story about their first board, which normally involves some sort of hardship, it's a bit of a shaggy dog story. So I kind of focused this one on your last board. I was like, let's, let's just really focus on the sort of last board you order before you, you die. Um, and so I wrote a bit about that. Um, and then I guess I just sort of filled in the blanks, had a bit about the first board and had five others to go through. But yeah, it's just, it's just more about the sort of different, different stages that you might go through with your, um, your, your sort of evolution to different surf craft. And yeah, do you want to, do you want to make that switch early? You know, when you, when you got the dad board, is it, or do you hang on for as long as you can on the high performance short board before inevitably you realise you're sort of getting out paddled and out manoeuvred and then go on the, get onto the big guy fish? Um, I, I also really think like the sort of big guy, the, the sort of long fish is one of the great rebrandings of our time because there was sort of nothing less cool sort of 15 years ago and then like a sort of seven two fish was there. It's just like, what the fuck is that? Whereas now that's like, that, that's almost kind of like, yeah, like that's fucking awesome. Yeah, so that that's, yeah, that's, so I just write about diff, different boards and I, 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 there was a couple I had to leave out didn't I didn't I thought the stand up maybe just sort of passed us. I didn't I didn't put that in. I don't think I put a longboard in. But yeah, it's just it's a story about the different yeah, your sort of your movement through and and how do you does your sort of perspective on life change or therefore you change your board or does what board you're riding shape your sort of outlook on the world around us? You just have to read the article and find out. Awesome. I'm going to give a little breakdown of these stages that you say everybody goes through, and I think it's fairly accurate. So the first board is the first board, and that can be a lot of different things to a lot of different people, but to your point, there's always some sentimental value and story behind it. Everybody tells the story of their first board. Second up is the high-performance shortboard. This is obviously, you know, your teens into your 20s, maybe your 30s if you're pushing it, or beyond if you're Kelly Slater. Even, yeah, if you stay fit, yep, into your 40s. That's probably your biggest top singles phase, I would say. Yep. Yep. So then you go to the fish, which, in my experience, there's like a bit of like a, there's a transition period where you dabble with the fish through your 20s into your 30s maybe at some point you like actually make the commitment this is your surfboard but i feel like there is a you don't there's no like hard cut it's like this transition period because you still want to be able to go out and surf your high performance surfboard on the really good days but then eventually you're like oh fuck i'm going so much faster on the fish like why would i even ride this thing uh so after the fish this is when you really start going downhill you get to the foamy Mm. and the foamy you explain is that's more of like a like a psychological phenomenon more than it is like a surfing experience, would you say? Yeah, I think so. I think it's um, also maybe but that sort of dad dad phase as well. And you um, it, you you're sort of you, it's a backlash to the fact that it's sort of crowded and you're it's the first real admission that you're on the wane and you mm. can't really do it anymore. But that's that's too hard to actually admit. So you, you kind of act like you're empowering yourself and you've made it. I've actually made this decision myself because I just want to surf the foamy now. Um, yeah, it doesn't, it, it sort of sounds weird, but I, you'd be surprised how many people I know that um, have gone through that, that phase, but are now coming out the other side and they're, I'd say they're, they're coming out better, better well, people. It sounds like they're coming out onto mid lengths, which is basically <laughs> just a more affluent version of a foamy. 
I assume there's a lot of like resin tints involved and whatnot. So that's stage five. Stage six, this is where it gets really uncomfortable, is the wall hanger. You put this mm. at around 46.5 years old that you get your first wall hanger? Yeah. That that really is a kind of a sort of, yeah, the crossing the kind of Rubicon moment that there isn't much turning back from. And when, you, when your old self kind of has a meeting somewhere inside with your young self and you kind of discuss it or what you've become, because I think when everyone was sort of maybe in their 20s and every sense that you had was like either for your next board or your next trip, and you kind of wouldn't dream of kind of wasting money in a restaurant if you were saving up to get a window, you know? When you're, really, when you're really puritanical about your surfing, the idea of just buying something and being really into the sort of glass job and like, mm-hmm. ooh, that's got a nice polish, you know, it's just, it's just like, what? And the other change that you said that happens too is that you're now looking at the price tag in in the opposite direction. It's like you you don't want to buy a wall hanger that's five hundred dollars. You want yeah. something that's expensive. You don't want a bargain wall hanger, exactly. Um, and the other slightly um, yeah, slightly sort of dark side of the wall hanger is if you you looking at the shaper, it's it's probably a, a, a legendary um, shaper who you might think doesn't have that many kind of doesn't have much left in the tank and something about the value is probably going to go up when they when they die um yeah that that was when I almost got yeah I'd like to talk about this am I writing about myself or is this a is this a theoretical person yeah I was gonna ask how old are you Paul are you, are you nearing yeah, that 46, I'm, I'm, I think lo- yeah I think last week I was actually 46 and a half so <laughs> yeah so it's just a it's just a mad coincidence um <laughs> Yeah, but um, yeah. So the the wall hanger, but you know what? I I'm not I'm not mad at wall hangers these days. I, I all people that like them, and I yeah, I've uh, wow. I can see that they they've got their place. Buck would have the, his fists up right now. Well, I partly you know yeah, I, I was partly hoping to annoy him a bit because it was his it was his idea um story. So. Yeah, yeah, wall hangers, fuck it, why not? On 30 years from now, you're not going to look back that fondly on your yellow, pressure-dinged, shit, little, pointless, high-performance shortboards, but you'll look back on your sick, triple-stringer, brewer gun, Jack Reese glass job hanging on the wall, won't you? And you, you sort of, that, That's the one the grandkids will sort of, like, take their kids surfing on, et cetera, et cetera. Hmm. Spoken like a true 46.5 year old. Uh, (laughs) After the wall hanger, you go to the seventh board in the seven stages of surfboard, which of course is the last board. Uh, This can be a lot of things to a lot of people. A lot of people, to your point, don't actually know that they're ordering their last surfboard. No, I don't don't think many people do. And um, I think something we should all just take a little moment to think about and plan for. Um, Yeah, because... Have you considered buying your last surfboard early? (laughs) Like, what if you bought it now? Like, you you really planned it out. And then, you know, you obviously get something with a nice resin tint that's not going to look really ugly in 20 years or whenever you choose to surf it. But that'll be your last board and it'll be waiting for you. I'm not against the idea that waxing the wall hang up and just being able to pull that down and paddle out, get a couple of ways and and, and put it back. Mm, Yeah, you can maybe double up those two. Okay, so... To be clear, we've kind of talked about the wall hanger, your age right now, but what stage would you say you're at at this moment, one through seven? Yeah, um, I would say I'm sort of simultaneously in the, the mid-length stage. Is that five? Yep. 
Um, and sometimes two, and obviously a little bit my last board as well. So yeah, it's a it's a fluid situation. You can't. You, nobody's a number, Mikey. No one's a number. We're all just you know. It's a non-binary world. We exactly. That's that's what I was looking for. But yeah. <laughs> In just a second, it is going to be time for a surf sin. But before that, I want to touch on just a couple other little things that are on the site and a couple things that are going to be on the site in the near future. So we have a story with creatures right now about their new environmentally superior traction. Basically, they use a mold to make the traction, which eliminates tons of waste in the process. These are the pads that Italo is using down in Stab in the Dark, and they look great. I think they work great based on his surfing, so you can go get a background on that. We also have a story with Gage Roads founder Aaron Heary. This is about a beer that originated in WA, and we also have a story with Gage Roads founder Aaron Heary. This is a beer company out of WA who have had a lot of success in the surf world, and they actually just took on a new partner who is world number two and WA local Jack Robinson. So it's sort of an origin story, and it gets into why Jack decided to join. It's a really interesting story. It is a little bit like ad-driven, I would say, but when you're reading it, you kind of forget that, which is nice. Uh, We also have Salty Crew went down to Costa Rica and plenty of other just general juice on the site, like about Slater surfing Snapper on the eve of the Market River Pro. Didn't seem to affect him yesterday. He won his heat, uh, actually lost $100 on that. I didn't think he'd be able to translate the draining tubes to Margie's. So yeah, without being that guy, did you think did he get an eight or something? He got he got quite a high score, I thought, which I was sort of surprised. That he looked like he was a bit no. He did, but he his waves were so much better than Joao's that they couldn't mm. not like. To me, at Margie's at that size, there's such a big difference between the good waves and the not good waves, and it's basically just how much cup there is in the face. The not so good yeah. waves are just real flat, and the the good ones just push back at you so much. And Slater was picking those ones. Joao was not so. Have you been listening to Stace and Snake? Sounds like it. <laughs> Funny enough, I actually haven't listened to the last podcast that they put out. But That was really informative. I liked it. They're very smart guys. They're good, aren't they? So that's what's on the site right now. Coming up next, we have, again, another Margaret River report from Stace and Snake after the event, of course, breaking down everything. Who made the cut? Who didn't? On that point, we also are going to have potentially a photo series of the sort of people who make the cut and who don't. We really want to capture that emotion of people coming out of the water, either the elation of having survived or the disdain of, of not and doing that walk up the stairs, maybe a little bit teary. Um, we'll see. We're, we're, we're working with some local photographers to try to make that happen. We're going to see how it comes out before we decide to publish. And we also have one story that I'm so excited to read. I haven't read it yet or I haven't read it yet. I haven't read it yet, but it's called Why Do Big Wave Surfers Burn Each Other? And this is actually just a burning question that everybody has had for a very long time, I think. So I think we're going to get answered by some of the experts. Uh, With that, we now have a surf sin. It is time. Are you ready, Paul? Totally. Let's do it. Buck, Mikey, this is my surf sin. I need to keep it semi-anonymous. Hence wearing a hooded wetsuit inside. Here you go. I work for one of the biggest retailers of surfboards in Europe. Every week I get four to five emails where people will send their ding their boards. Can we do the ding repair? I then email back asking for pictures of the ding repair 
knowing full well that we don't repair boards at all and that I just want to judge them and kind of live in their glory and see what damage they've done to their board. I know it's bad, I know it's wasting their time. It's kind of a thing. Sorry everyone out there. Hit me with your penance. I hope this stays anonymous. This is a good attempt. Also, lastly, fuck, fuck you. All right, Paul. Uh, this is, maybe you know this anonymous person. He seems to have a similar dialect and tone to you. Mm-hmm. I think I know people that know him for sure. Uh, okay, yeah. okay, okay. So before we really break it down, um, we obviously, we've been doing this thing on Instagram now. It's called Surf Sin Tuesdays where we post your surf sins and we basically get our comments, commenters to deliver a penance before we even do. So... Paul, were there any comments that stuck out to you as something that you might see as a viable penance for our anonymous sinner? Yeah, I read through. I'll tell you what, there's, there's some weird people out there. Um, <laughs> <laughs> there were some quite weird ones, which I, which I really liked. But there's one in particular which really stood out to me. Um, I don't like an over-elaborate penance. I think it should be like just pretty mm-hmm. sort of simple. This was Toast Overdose, which is a quite cool handle as well. And he reckons that the the... the the masked sinner, the anonymous sinner should have to break and fix um, one of his own boards. Um, and what I really liked about that is, even though I think, I think even the, the sinner even said this thing that he, he gets boards cheap or he works, in, he works in surfboards, but it just feels so wrong, doesn't it? To sort of, you know, like skateboarders when they're annoyed and they jump and they snap their, they snap their deck on purpose. Mm-hmm. I, I think that's a, that's a great one. That's just have to take, you know, one of his, one of his own boards and kind of, do it, do it harm intentionally because it's not something really anyone ever does and then have to fix it. I thought that was pretty cool. I like it. Okay. Well, I took a slightly different route when it comes to the Instagram comments. I, I like that one as well, but there was one from uh, a person called Max Elkington that said, Anonymous needs to have the board delivered to his house, that being the board of the other person who had their, their board dinked, surf test them and then send them back with a surfboard review and i think that that's just beautiful it's hilarious it's nobody asked for this but i did it anyway um didn't even fix the ding probably got a lot more water in it but at least they have a surfboard review on it and i think that would be absolutely hilarious so paul now it is time for you you're you're a guest here but we're gonna grant you sort of just like a a daily father status so you're going to deliver a penance to anonymous man here um, yeah, anonymous man. It seems like you're you're having fun with with um, with other people's sort of sadness, and yeah, you, you know you you might get boards on the cheap, but, but other people don't. Um, you're asking for pictures of of their boards, their their damage. So I just think the only obvious penance he's got to see it through. He actually just needs to all of the ones that he's done so far. He needs to go and collect them, pay for gas money himself, pick them up, do the ding repairs, take them back. And, you know, maybe that then we can have some kind of closure on this. And also, I, I don't know if this is going to be official or sort of enshrined in law, but if there could be some kind of register as a kind of a ding, a ding pest sort of register, he should put himself on that just so people know if they have dings that, they, you know, he, he can't come within kind of 200 yards of, of surfboards that may or may not have dings. Um, yeah, and just so people know who he is and just stick clear of him. And also he needs to 
unmask himself and lose the lose the anonymous. We need to see his face and who okay. really is. All right. Well, that's that's a pretty straightforward. Well, there's a lot of layers to it, but the original penance is very it's very straightforward. I think that it would be only fair for him to. I mean, I don't know how many he's how many people he's done this to. That could be a lot of labor, but I guess that he kind of brought that upon himself at the end. Yeah, I also think this could actually be a slightly coded um, language for some more quite serious sins that he he knows in his heart of hearts that, that he's done, and it might be time to start thinking perhaps not on this forum. But just in his own personal affairs, how to how to how to right those wrongs. There's still time. Yeah. Well, to your point, I think there is. I mean, this is Schadenfreude in its finest form, right? It's it's really just reveling in the misery of others. But none of us, you know, none of us are perfect. None of us um, none of us are, are happy all the time. We all go through ups and downs. So I think that he needs to actually go to a therapy session. And really get to the source of of what he's trying to sort of cover up right now, because right now he, he's really enjoying the pain of others. He's laughing at it, but I think that really speaks to a deeper pain within himself. So I just think he needs to to go to a you know a certified psychologist or, or someone in that vein. Maybe it can be not even Western. Maybe it can be like Eastern, not certified. Just somebody who really understands inner demons. And really get to the source of his, and I think that um, his life will be better, and the world will be a better place for it. And surfboards will be more watertight. <laughs> That's right. So that is your penance. You can choose one of them. You can choose one of the Instagram ones if you want anonymous. But we'd really appreciate if you send a video of your penance being completed in when you have a chance. And to anybody else who wants to get roasted on the internet, send a 60-second video to myself or Buck. That's Michael at stabmag.com or Buck at stabmag.com, and you might just be featured on our Instagram and of course in this show as well. So Paul, it's been an absolute pleasure having you back on the podcast and meeting you for the first time. Uh, any parting words? Knock, knock. Who's there? Brendan Buckley. Brendan Buckley who? Exactly. <laughs> Thank you, as always, for listening to The Drop. Again, please submit your surf sins. Video, vertical, 60 seconds or less, you know the drill. You will get posted on our Instagram, and the whole world will make you a better person. With that, uh, we've got a lot going on. Like I said, Margaret River's going on right now. Stace and Snake will be back after that event to cover everything that happened. In the meantime, you can get caught up on the site posts. We're going to do daily coverage every day, as usual, and also keep up with our betting on betonline.ag. Each comp wrap has a betting section where you can find out how we did that day and who we're picking the next day. So you can maybe make a little money too. So with that, over and out.